Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. Hey, uh, one thing that we have learned uh, recently in the last decades or so is that you cannot separate uh, the spiritual from the emotional, from relational, from all these different areas, and even physical. And so one of the truths that we've learned is that unforgiveness can have a huge impact on your life physically. Um, There was a paper written, it was called The Art of Forgiveness, Differentiating Transformational Leaders by Manfred Ketz Van Deery. And he writes this, bitterness and hatred create stress disorders, negatively affect the immune system, and are positively correlated with depression, anxiety, neuroticism, and premature death. That holding on to unforgiveness can actually have a physical impact on your life. And so today I want to talk about forgiveness. And to do that, I want to continue in this series that we're having called the Faces of Faith. And we're going to look at two brothers today from the Old Testament, Jacob and Esau. And I just want to remind us what faith is, the definition we've been using that faith is trusting in the character and promises of God. And that you need to have faith in order to step into forgiveness. You need to have faith in order to accept forgiveness from others or to offer it to others. And that it is trusting in God's character and in his promises. Now, one thing about the Bible that you have to appreciate is that the Bible does not try to hide the uh, downside of people and families in the scriptures. And that some of the most dysfunctional families you will ever come along are right in the pages of scripture. So here's the story of Jacob and Esau. Isaac, you might remember Isaac, right? Isaac uh, was uh, the son of Abraham. The last time we saw Isaac, uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked about Abraham, is that Isaac was tied up on an altar about to be killed by his father, Abraham. Remember this? The Lord intervenes, says, no, don't do that. He lets him go. I just have to wonder, you know, how many years of therapy Isaac was in after that, right? I mean, you had to do, yeah, just can't help. But Isaac gets married to a woman named Rebecca, and she becomes pregnant with twins. And the firstborn of the twins is a son, And when he is born, it says that he was red and hairy, so they named him Esau. You know, most of the time, right, when you see a baby that's born, it's like, oh, so beautiful. That baby is so beautiful. I am thinking Esau was not one of those babies, if he's described as red and hairy, okay? But that is Esau. The second twin that comes out, comes out holding onto his brother's ankle And his name was um, Isaac, I mean, was Jacob. And Jacob means grasping the heel, which figuratively means one who deceives. That is Jacob's name. I just met a Jacob. I'm sorry that I just told you what your name means. I'm sure that you have nothing to do with this Jacob, okay? But here we go. And Jacob in the Bible, let's just say, will live up to his name. He will be one that continually deceives time and time again. So here's this family. Isaac, the dad, loved Esau. Mom, Rebecca, loved Jacob. Right away, there's some struggle there. 
One day, Esau comes in from being out in the countryside. He's been hunting and gathering or whatever he does. Uh, Jacob is more of a stay-at-home type person. He's at home, and he has got a big old pot of, of lentil stew that he's made. Esau comes in and says, hey, I'm super hungry, Jacob. Can I have something to eat? And, and Jacob goes, no, nah, no, nah, I made this as it's for me later on. And, and Esau goes, no, I'm really hungry. And Jacob goes, well, okay, you can have some stew if you sell me your birthright as the oldest son. Now, the birthright of the oldest son meant this, that when the father would pass away, that you would become the priest and the leader of the family, and you also got a double portion of the inheritance. So since there would be two sons, instead of splitting it 50-50, the oldest son would get two-thirds, and the youngest son would get one-third. That's what the birthright did for you. And Esau, though, is so hungry that he sells his birthright to Jacob and says, okay, and he eats his stew. All right, first thing that happens. Then a few years later, um, Isaac, the dad's uh, eyesight is not so good. In fact, he's basically blind, but it's time to give the blessing to the son. And so he's going to give the oldest son, Esau, the blessing of an older son, and he's going to give um, Jacob the blessing of being a younger son. And so Esau goes out to go get some game for a meal. Rebekah and Jacob um, come up with a plan. And they do it in such a way that they fool Isaac into thinking that Jacob is actually Esau. And so there he is before Isaac. They fooled him. He gives the blessing of the older son to Jacob. Now, again, this is a huge deal back in that culture. It is, it is, again, as if you are stealing something that is not yours. So then we get to Genesis chapter 27, verse 41, and here's what we read. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to him, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. I will kill him. I will get rid of him. Now, in our culture, we don't have to deal with uh, birthrights and blessings from fathers so much and all that stuff, but we have fractured family relationships. We have friendships that are broken right now. We have struggles with people at work. We have different organizations that we struggle with the people in those organizations, and we even struggle with people at church sometimes. And we just live in a very volatile, fractured time. And I know there are families where people are not speaking to each other anymore. I know that there are people who used to go to that church or this church but won't talk to each other anymore. We live in a very fractured time. So what I want to see and I want to help us do is learn what can we learn from this story between Jacob and Esau and what actually happens from this point on. So Jacob, the deceiver, leaves his promised land and goes back to the land where his mother grew up. And he goes back to his, his mother's family, and it's really in northwest Mesopotamia, and there he finds a wife, actually two wives. But again, I don't want to go into the whole polygamy thing here yet, but he has two wives. And there he experiences deception from others, and he also continues in his deceptive ways. 
He stays in this land for about 20 years. And he's had kids, and, and he has wives and kids, and he has lots of, of uh, uh, sheep and goats and all this stuff he's accumulated. But he has worn out his welcome, as you might imagine a deceiver does. But then in Genesis 31, verse 3, this is what the Lord says. The Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So do you hear the promise there? Do you hear the promise that, 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 that Jacob realizes what's waiting for him if he goes back? He realizes what he has done to his family back there and the brokenness that is there. He knows that his brother Esau is waiting for him back there. And yet the Lord says, go back to your hometown. And the promise is, I will be with you. That's what he can hold on to. And he responds in faith. He has to trust this promise. Because going home means that he has to face his past and face his brother. So Jacob and his wives and his cattle and flocks and all that stuff, they start their trek back to the promised land. And when they get closer and closer to Canaan, he sends messengers out in front. He says, when you, when you find Esau, tell him, hey, your servant Jacob and his family are coming to him. And to remind him that it said that, that Jacob, your servant, I'm going to serve you. So he sends these people out. And the messengers come back, and it says that Esau is coming with 400 men dressed for battle. So this causes Jacob this great stress and fear, and he divides his family into different groups, thinking, well, if he attacks one group of my family, maybe another will survive and all that. And then there's a beautiful point where he says that Jacob prayed. And he prayed, I am unworthy, Lord, of the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown me. That, 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 that the stress of coming back, that the worry about coming back has drawn his eyes four upward to the Lord. And he says, I am unworthy. And so a really important part of this whole when we're thinking about forgiveness and all that is to have honest confession is crucial when you're seeking forgiveness. That you get to a place between you and the Lord and you go, Lord, I know what I've done. I know the mistakes I've made. I know the brokenness that's happened because of this, that I can honestly before the Lord say, I am unworthy of the kindness that you've shown me. I know what I have done. And so Jacob gets to that point, and, and then he, so he prays, and then he sends all of his families and his possessions across the Jabbok River, which then takes them right into the land of Canaan. And then that night, he stays on the east side of the river by himself. And it is a really interesting, interesting story, because that night, he wrestles with God. He actually wrestles with God. It says he wrestles with a man, but then we read later, and it says that that man was actually God himself or an angel along those lines, but he wrestles. And as they're wrestling back and forth, and it's a, it's a tight match. I don't think God was trying very hard, but, you know, but, but it's a tight match. And finally, the angel or the God touches his hip, and his hip goes out. And so Jacob will always walk with a limp 
from now on, and this is probably the most important part of this wrestling match, is that, the, um, is that God changes his name. That he changes his name from Jacob, the deceiver, to Israel, which is one who wrestles with God. And so his name is changed. And, and, he, and he goes on. And here's the thing I thought of as I was thinking about this and this whole idea of forgiveness, of seeking forgiveness or giving forgiveness, is that on that path that you're on towards giving forgiveness or accepting it, there will be a time of wrestling. There, there no doubt will come into your mind those thoughts of, oh, you know what? It wasn't a big deal. It, it really hasn't bothered me that much that they said that about me or that this happened. And, and you know what? I, I don't really need to deal with that. And, and as somebody who's like an Enneagram 9, which is a peacemaker, I love that language. It's not a big deal. But you know what? That stuff sticks with you. Or the other thing could be is, you know what? They won't really listen to me. They, they really won't want to do this. Um, you know, I don't really need to do this. I'll never be able to really forgive them. And if they're saying they'll forgive me, they don't really mean that. So, it, it, so we will wrestle with this stuff on the path towards forgiveness. You'll try to talk yourself out of it. You'll try to say, we don't really need to do that because it's uncomfortable. Because it's difficult. And you need to have faith to step into forgiveness. And we might come out of that encounter with a limp. We might come out of that a little bit humbled. And, and you see that Jacob realizes that he cannot defeat Esau and his 400 men, especially now that he's limping. All he can do all he can do is trust in the character and promises of God. So he keeps going. So the next morning, he wakes up after this wrestling match. He limps across the river, and he goes. And again, here come Esau and his 400 men. Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 to 4. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. And so Jacob seven times bows down on his way with his family and as they get closer and closer and closer. And then verse four, we get to this point where it says this, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. The brokenness that was there between the two of them is gone. What, what brought Jacob to this point was this confession, right? I'm unworthy, Lord, for the kindness that you've given me. It's humility that has brought Jacob to this point. He's walking with a limp now. We don't know what brought Esau to this point. We don't know. He wanted to, last thing we heard from him, he wanted to kill his brother. But over those 20 years that Jacob has been gone, Esau's anger and offense towards Jacob has not grown into bitterness. He's not allowed it to. But when he sees his brother coming, 
He runs to him, throws his arms around him, and kisses him, and the two of them weep together. It should remind you of another story and a picture in the Scriptures, a story that Jesus told one time. You remember? The prodigal son, right? The story of, of two, two brothers and, and a younger son that said to his dad, hey, dad, uh, can I have my share of the inheritance now? And the dad goes, okay. In essence, what the younger son was saying is, dad, I wish you were dead. All I really want is your money. But the dad says, okay. And the younger son goes off, and in wild living, he just spends it all. To the point where he finds himself in a pig pen, feeding pigs, wishing he could eat what he's feeding the pigs. And then the scripture says that he came to his senses and realized, you know what, the servants back home have it much better than I do. I'll go back and be a servant of my father. I'll do that. And he's making his steps away, and he's got his speech in his mind. He's going over and over and over, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your servants, da 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 And he gets farther and farther, and he sees his dad, and his dad sees him, and the dad starts running towards him. And again, the dad throws his arms around him and kisses him. And Jesus says, that's what it's like for you and I with our God. That even though we have blown it, even though we've been like that younger son and have walked away, even though we are filled with sin and all that stuff, that when we come back to God, he runs towards us and grabs us and says, you are my son. You once were lost, now you're found. You were once dead, now you're alive. And here's the thing that's important about this. That when we're talking about forgiving others, the place we have to start is realizing that we are deeply forgiven by God first and foremost. And then out of that forgiveness that we experience with Jesus, we then can step in faith to forgive other people. But it begins with truly experiencing the forgiveness of God in our own lives. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Colossians 3, and I, and I want to walk you through this just a little bit. So uh, Nancy and I uh, got married. We're, we're, we've been married for like 28 years now. But when we got married, at the um, ceremony, we chose this passage, Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14, to be read at our wedding and, and it's not usually a, a wedding section. It's not like 1 Corinthians 13 and about love and all that sort of stuff. But, but we thought this is, this is what it should be like to be married. And so here's what Paul, and I want you to, well, you'll see where this goes. Colossians 3. Therefore, as God's chosen and holy people, well, I'm sorry, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, patience, and gentleness. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. This is such a powerful three verses. Oh my goodness, but here we go. 
So first and foremost, you have to realize that you are God's chosen and holy people and that you are dearly loved. That's the picture of God the Father running at you and grabbing you and kissing you. That that is at the heart of who we are, that we are loved by God. And then because we are loved by God, we then put on these characteristics. And, and he's using the, the illustration of you're putting something on, like you're getting dressed. And it's compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And that that's how we are to treat each other. And if in my marriage I can treat Nancy with those qualities, things will go well. And I just thought it was so interesting this week as I looked at this, that, that those, those qualities then are followed with, but bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And I thought, if I was actually living out those five qualities, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, there wouldn't be any need for, it, for forgiveness, you wouldn't think. If I actually would be living that out, she wouldn't have to bear it with me. But the problem is in life and in marriage and in friendships and all that stuff is that we don't live that way. We don't put on those qualities. And we hurt one another. And we break relationships. And so it's crucial then to bear with each other and to forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. And then this line, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That as Jesus took everything on the cross, so that I can experience his grace and mercy and forgiveness, then I am to take that same type of forgiveness and forgive other people. Even though they've hurt me. Even though they've said stuff about me. Even though there's brokenness. Even though they're really different than me and I don't understand them. Forgive them as Jesus has forgiven you. And here's the thing, and I'll wrap up with this. We know that forgiveness is so close to the heart of Jesus. One time he said that, hey, if you are at, in a, at the altar and you have a gift that you're giving to the Lord, but you realize that somebody else has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go make things right with that person and then come back and give your gift. If you're doing, he's saying if you're doing some spiritual thing and you realize something's, someone's got something against you, leave it there, go get that right, and then come back. Peter one time asked, hey, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Seven times? Jesus said, well... No. And he either said, depending on the translation, 70 times, or 77 times, or seven times 70, seven times 70 times. Either way, it's a lot. You're supposed to forgive your brother. In the prayer that he teaches his disciples to pray, he says, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. It's so close to the heart of Jesus. So one time, I, 
before I was married to Nancy, I dated some other gals. And um, one of them was a gal named Missy. Use a real name, I guess. Um, and shouldn't have done that. Um, and things were going well for a while. And then all of a sudden, she broke up with me. And then she started dating her old boyfriend from college and all that stuff. And, and you know, breakups, those are really hard and all that stuff. But we she was a part of all our friend group and all that stuff. So I remember one night, Saturday night, I'm sitting at Rolling Hills Covenant Church and, and, and church with some of my friends. I'm looking around, getting ready for the service. And she walks in with her old new boyfriend. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? How can you walk into my church with your old new boyfriend? And then I'm looking at the bulletin, see what's happening, just to kind of forget about that. And they say, okay, it's Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. Okay, I wonder what that's about. The parable of the unmerciful servant. Do you know this parable? It's about a king who has a servant, and the servant owes him like a million dollars. And the servant goes, hey, I can't pay it. So the king goes, well, I'm going to throw you into prison. And then he goes, oh, have mercy on me, please. And the, and the king has mercy on him and forgives his debt. A million dollars. And then the servant goes off, and he sees another servant who owes him like 100 bucks. He says, hey, I need my 100 bucks. Well, I don't have it. Oh, I'm throwing you in jail until you can pay me back. And all the other servants hear about what's happening. They go back to the king and they say, hey, you know that servant you forgave the debt? He's not forgiving anybody else's debt. And so the king throws that servant back into prison and says this, you wicked servant, I canceled the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you. Lord, you've forgiven me so much, and yet I'm so slow to forgive others. It is so much the heart of Jesus that we would be people of forgiveness. So right now, just take a moment and maybe uh, think about or ask the Lord to bring to mind a relationship, a friendship, something going on in a family, whatever it might be, that just isn't right. That there's some brokenness there that, that needs to be repaired. And, and bring that relationship before the Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us the right first step to take towards forgiveness. And that you would give us faith to be honest with our own brokenness. That you give us perseverance in the midst of the wrestling that we will have to do in this experience. That the Lord, you will bring us to a place where we can give and receive the forgiveness that you so desire us to experience. Just speak to us, Lord. Strengthen our faith. And may there be 
forgiveness in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.